The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. I mentioned earlier on when I was talking to uh, Jared Howland and Brenda Power that one of the stories that we wouldn't discuss during the panel but that we would discuss later on was that issue of what the Irish Times is describing as the government pressing ahead with new extended hours consultant contracts regardless of whether or not they have the agreement of the relevant representative organisations and those relevant representative organisations being the Irish Hospital Consultants Association and the Irish Medical Organisation. And with us we have Dr Matthew Sadlier who is chairman of the Consultant Committee of the Irish Medical Organisation. Now, as I understand this, Matthew, and you're very welcome to the programme. Thank you. As I understand it, the issue that the government has put in front of you is, look, we need consultants to be more available across the periods of the seven-day week. So that whether it be the middle of the night, whether it be Sundays, there is a senior person available both to release people if they need it or to make um, decisions around their treatment. And to do that, we'll offer them additional monies or a return to their previous monies. What's the delay and why do you not want to agree? Well, I mean, the problem is that we finished negotiation on this contract just before Christmas time. Uh, the negotiations have been gone for basically 18 months, give or take. And uh, what would normally happen in this process is that we would go back and have a consultation period with our members, which we are in the process of. We are you know, putting out documents to our members. We are holding webinars. We are doing the usual sort of things that we do in 2023 when discussing these sort of things. Um, and then what would normally happen is we would get our feedback from our members. We would feed that back into the government and then we would have an idea as to how acceptable or not this contract will be with the general membership. I mean, the government is relying on roughly two and a half to two and three quarter thousand consultants switching contracts here from one contract to another contract. And um, so it would normally make sense that we would have some sort of consultation period with these people to see whether or not there is any problems in the negotiations, any problems with this document that we didn't foresee that in a consultation period with a wider group that we might be able to find out. Now, the government, of course, uh, will say and the department will say that there is a level of immediate pressure, given what we've seen in in the health service and given what we're facing, and that to, uh, I'm inferring greatly, but that they will say it is a sweet deal. We received a, a statement when we mentioned that we were going to talk about this from the Department of Health. And what they say is that uh, this is a new public-only consultant contract. It's going to be in in early February. It's the only contract that will be offered to new recruits and it will be offered to existing serving consultants and they break down the numbers and they say basic pay of 209,919 up to 252,000 euro per annum on a six point scale and that remains at a 37 hour week. It's hard to look at that as a bad deal. It is hard to look at that as a bad deal. Now, it has to be said that, you know, for consultants who are appointed pre-2012, that is largely the pay scale that is already out there and in existence. And it is roughly in, you know, in alignment with pay scales in countries of the world that we compete for medical talent. And in, compared to some countries, it is significantly less. Is it because the London Times is reporting today that the NHS consultant average, I think, is around the area of about £86,000 sterling, which is a lot lower than two fifty. The, the NHS contract is quite a complex contract and there's different payments for different targets and KPIs that you can meet and there is an element of private practice within their contract that is allowed as well. But if you look at Australia, you look at Canada and if you look at, and anybody who was driving around Dublin before Christmas would have seen there's adverts up on the billboards from Victoria looking for Irish healthcare workers that were very specifically targeted and if you drove outside of St. Vincent's Fairview the psychiatric hospital there was looking for mental health care staff if you drove outside the matter they were looking for general health care staff there's a delegation coming over from Canada next week looking to recruit Irish doctors and nurses so 
Presumably, you know, though, this is non-consultant hospital doctors. Like, if you are a consultant and you're on 250 grand a year, you're not getting on a plane to Australia, are you? Well, I, I, have, I have many colleagues who have done that and I have many colleagues who have got on a plane to, to Canada as well. And there are certain places and certain jobs in those countries which are offering, you know, better terms and conditions. They are offering better hours, more support for hours um, and at times offering, you know, a, a higher headline salary. And so, I mean, but the money is not the only issue. I mean, the only issue, is the other issues are you know are you able to do your job in Ireland and we have surgeons who don't aren't able to get into theatre who don't have sufficient theatre time in their contracts we have as we say an overcrowded emergency department settings we have a hospital system that is short on any estimation of about two to three thousand beds you know we have roughly the same number of beds in our acute hospital system today that we had in the year 2000 the year 2000 we had a population of 3.8 million and now we've a population of about 5.2 million. But hang on for a minute now just explain that because as if I am a consultant and those yes. factors that you describe whether it's theatre time or overcrowding I have an existing contract and I will be subject to those forces on this contract I will be equally subject to those forces on a new contract none of that changes if your colleagues adopt the Department of Health's current offer and that's where we are saying that this consultant contract is one piece of a jigsaw to improve the healthcare service and putting too much weight on this contract will not solve all the problems. Yes, potentially this will allow for doctors to work, you know, extended hours and possibly do work at the weekends depending on conditions and specialties. But you won't be able to do the work at the weekends. You won't be able to get doctors to come in regularly on a Saturday morning to be effective unless you also have radiographers, nursing staff, occupational therapists and all the other health and social care professionals that require a health service to work. Discharging patients over the weekend, you know, most patients' community pharmacy isn't open on a Sunday. You know, how can you discharge somebody if they aren't able to get their medications that evening? So you need a broad spectrum across the service in order to help discharges in order to relieve the pressure. The service is, the consultant contract, while it's an important brick, is only one brick in the wall and we need the whole wall to be built in order to improve the service. Explain to me why this requires the IMO as a representative organisation to go back to government because ultimately when this contract is offered up and this is what the Department of Health is saying, it's for new consultants it's the only game in town. Take it or leave it, don't become a consultant. Absolutely. For existing consultants it's carrot and stick. Do you want the extra cash and a change in your working hours or do you want to stay there and it's a personal choice each consultant can make it so why do they need your imprimatur well they don't need our imprimatur and, and, and as that is shown by the story that's out today I mean they can issue they are the employer they are a monopoly organisation they can issue the contract we would think however that it would be a smoother process if they allow us to continue a consultation process with our members we are able to get some feedback from the broader you know there's 3,000 give or take consultants in the country there was about a smaller number of us within the talks group we don't have all the information so it is very important that we get it out to our members. There's a couple of very kind of minor textual issues within the contract just to make sure that the wording in the contract reflects what the talks process. We have a bit of clarification to look for on that but I mean that's only kind of relatively pedantic logistical sort of issues but it would be usual in this process that you negotiate the contract, you put it out to your members, you get feedback, you come back with the feedback and as you often happens there might be some issue within it that you say well actually 90% of our consultants are happy with all this but there's this one issue here that people aren't as happy with is there movement here? If they, to use a very pejorative term railroaded as they appear to intend to do what's the potential downside? 
And the potential downside is that we don't get as good a contract as we could do if we took the little bit of time to get a bit of feedback from the members. And that is the ultimate downside. Whether people will sign this contract and move on to it is going to be, uh, it'll depend on each individual doctors and their circumstances and what they, their experience of working with the health service and whether or not they trust their employers or whether or not their current terms and conditions suit them or whether they want to move to this new terms and conditions. Our fear is we do not want to create another two-tier workforce because since 2012, we've had a two-tier workforce and that is another fear that you don't end up with a department where half the consultants are on one contract another half are on a different contract they're working different hours they're working different times and you don't want a situation where new consultants coming in are all forced onto this contract which allows for some extended working hours and then you end up with a department of maybe let's say 10 consultants two of them on the new contract and they're the only ones doing the extended hours now, they're not going to last very long in the system if that's what happens. The methodology may vary. The objective, I think, is shared, which is a desire to, to start a process that we are theoretically now two decades into of resolving the overcrowding in the hospital system, of mm. making it a, a more efficient and, and more effective deployment of fairly significant resources that are pulled into it, are poured into it. Leo Radker, the Taoiseach, was asked about this um, during the week and he was speaking after the first cabinet meeting of 2023 in Farmley. And he, in essence, said, let's not over-egg the pudding. There's lots of problems in lots of countries. I I think that's um, maybe a little bit too simplistic. Um, What we're seeing is a wave of illness affecting the entire Northern Hemisphere, Um, not just COVID, not just RSV, uh, but also uh, one of the worst flu seasons that we've seen uh, affect um, the Northern Hemisphere in a very long time. Uh, And that's without even taking into account the fact that people's immunity is not as strong as it would have been um, because of the the, the, the period of of social isolation. Uh, And we see Northern Ireland struggling, we see Britain really struggling, Um, never seen the NHS under so much pressure. We see emergency departments in Germany have to close. Uh, We see President Macron in France uh, talking about how he wants to end the endless crisis in health. Um, Whatever you want to blame us for, I don't think you can blame us for all those things happening in other jurisdictions. So this is uh, something that is um, very serious, a very big wave of infection um, that's uh, affecting all the Northern Hemisphere um, and we're no different. As Tisha Leo Varadkar, and we're speaking with uh, Dr. Matthew Sadlier, who's chairman of the Consultant Committee of the Irish Medical Organisation. Not all our fault, says the government. Uh, well, just because things aren't good somewhere else doesn't mean we can't strive to make things better here. And that is the core issue. Like we know every single year that there's an increase in presentations to emergency departments with respiratory illnesses around this time of year. That, OK, this year we fully accept that you will have spikes of certain viruses that circulate in the community and things will be worse from time to time. But we go into this crisis every December with people already waiting on trolleys in the emergency department. We don't go into this crisis with empty beds waiting for it. We've been promised three elective hospitals for as long as I've been graduated and I'm no longer young. You know, I've been working for 24 years in the service and this is constantly being offered and they haven't been delivered. If we had that extra elective capacity, there would be a possibility at this time of year to shut down electives for a couple of weeks and allow the extra capacity and we'd have the flexibility. But the problem is our system is running at 100% capacity even at the best of times and then you add in the extra capacity and that is the problem and while he's right about there's crises in all other parts of the world and you know and this is a problem where states move to you know offering public free to access healthcare service the responsibility comes on the government because that is what they've promised 
You obviously, uh, as well as being chairman of the consultant committee in the IMO, you are a working medic yourself. Weekends are a big issue when it comes to overcrowding because they tend to be the peak periods yes. of people arriving in. What does it look like as we speak today? Uh, well, as I say, I, I was walking through the, the emergency department in the hospital I work in uh, uh, yesterday and like it is very sad to see, you know, a corridor that's about eight foot wide and, you know, four of the feet on one side of the corridor is taken up by trolleys where people are lying in bed with their family sitting on a chair beside them. Now, and it has to be said, you know, and great respect to the nursing staff and the medical staff and the other staff who work in the emergency departments. I mean, the vast majority of those patients are getting, you know, the care they need. They're getting the medications they need. They're getting the monitoring they need. They're getting the investigations. But it's been done in a very public space. It's the lack of dignity of, you know, seeing patients having their histories being taken, their bloods being taken, their examinations being done in the middle of a corridor with no privacy. Um, you know, and it's very sad to see that and it's sad that we're in a position where this is happening. We have talked about in the IMO for as long as I'm involved which is about 20 years that we need more beds. We have an expanding population which is a really good thing. For the first time in living memory in Ireland we have a population that didn't need to emigrate 30, 40 years ago and that has led us to having an ageing population now which is a really, really good thing. We have grandparents and parents and uncles and aunts who are around in this country to see their loved ones grow up which is not what happened previously. But the problem is an ageing population puts pressure on your healthcare service. It means you will have more people who will need hospitalisation and ultimately that means we need more beds. Dr. Matthew Sadlier, thank you very much. That is Matthew Sadlier, chairman of the consultant committee of the Irish Medical Organisation. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.